Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On this week's episode, I welcome in Matt Johnson, who is a marketing agency founder, podcaster, and musician. He runs a podcast launch and production agency based in San Diego called Pursuing Results and has an international team that helps business coaches, consultants, and thought leaders use done-for-you podcasting to attract an audience, build influence, and become micro-famous. And Matt is the author of the book, Micro-Famous, and currently hosts the Micro-Famous podcast. He is a frequent podcast guest and event speaker to audiences around the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Had a super fun conversation with Matt, um, a lot about how he got into podcasting and running a podcast business, writing books, uh, just a very fluid conversation. I uh, had a lot of fun with this. So I hope you all will enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, my chat today with Matt Johnson. Let's get it started. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. I'm really excited to be here. It's going to be a good conversation. Yeah, I'm excited, especially with some of the stuff, uh, some of the research I did on you before and excited to get in a few avenues, obviously being podcasters and, and, and your business being around podcasting a lot, this, this will be a good conversation as well. Cause I think it could be helpful. A lot of folks that want to start podcasts, you know, I'm always finding like I'm giving random advice out for people. I'm sure you're doing that daily. So it'd be cool to kind of get into that a little bit. Um, I wanted to start though, if we can, and maybe kind of put the story together because, you know, we can look on LinkedIn, we can see kind of the path of a lot of people, different jobs they've had and they kind of have, as they go through life, Something sparked me, and I'm curious, maybe start us here. Something seemed like it happened in 2014, 2015-ish that changed the, the trajectory of what you're doing now. Because you were just, you're working like most of us at different companies. You had some jobs in sales, marketing, doing some training. Did something happen big that alter, altered your path in life? I'm curious if you start there. Yeah, it was huge. Um, and just to set the scene, I kind of bounced around a lot. Um, really what it was is I, I couldn't find... Like after I, after I decided like coming out of my early twenties, I wasn't going to go pursue ministry like full time, and uh, I went and started a real estate team, and then the crash happened. So I shut that down. I realized there were some things that I liked about it, like the the marketing, the team building side, but I didn't like the client relations side of real estate. So I got out of that, and then flash forward, I I basically put about five years into chasing the dream as a musician. So I was just kind of working whatever uh, whatever would give me. Um, the best shot at continuing to work in music. And yeah, so 2014, I decided, okay, well, I, I've built these kind of this little marketing skill set in, in learning the music side, the side of things, but I didn't want to tour. So I'm like, okay, well, what can I do with those skills that would be valuable and get me the lifestyle that I want? And so I said, well, I, I just need to take those marketing skills into the business world where they're a lot more lucrative for the same things I'm doing now, just to try to make a living and scrape by as a musician. And uh, so I, I went and I got a, I literally answered one ad, one single ad. It was from the CEO of uh, another digital agency. Um, we ended up talking on the phone for an hour. Today, he's one of my best friends. And just from the progression of like starting to work for him, but more importantly, I, I, that, that's what brought me out to San Diego. <clears throat> it transitioned me into working as an independent marketing consultant. It led to me starting podcasts and all that fun stuff. But yeah, that really was like, that was that kind of breakthrough moment. And I, what I didn't realize is that I could have made that breakthrough moment happen a lot earlier if I would have had just the mentality of find whoever's the best at something and just go hang around them. I wish I would have done that when I was in my early 20s. 
when you when you said you were going to be a musician was that like a a solo artist was that like a band was it something totally different from that what what was the the uh, premise of the, as a musician I put in a few different tickets into the lottery, so to speak, because I play a couple of instruments. So I was a sideman in bands. I was in four different bands as a drummer. <clears throat> the thing that actually got the most traction was I played piano, and I, I, I started dating a girl who's also a vocalist, and we started writing songs together. And it turns out we had really good songwriting chemistry and, and stuff like that. So we got signed as a duo act with the theory that we could put out a full band album, but then if you wanted to put us on tour, it was super cheap. It was just me and a piano and a, a chick singing. And so that was the idea. That That's about as far as it went. We got we got pitched. We put out an album. We got introduced to a bunch of people in Nashville. Wham, door slammed. Hmm. So that, that was kind of the end of that. But I did, yeah, I put in a, a few different tickets into the lottery. Unfortunately, I made that same mistake later in business and ended up in four different businesses thinking I was focusing by like being in one industry, yeah. which is really uh, turned out to be a really dumb thing. So I repeated that same mistake later. Um, yeah, because business is not at all like like music where you're putting tickets into the lottery business. So you kind of like just pick a ticket and make it your lottery ticket. You can, you can change it music. You're kind of, there's so many other factors in music of whether something takes off. You kind of want to spread around your lottery tickets and get involved in several different things. But uh, yeah, I I figured out business is not at all like that. Well, did you, you know, my curiosity, I've had some folks on the podcast that have had music as a background and, and it seems like I want to use the word rejection because I see that in sales a lot, you know, for my role, but like the rejection of, of a musician and some of the things you go through, as you're saying, you're kind of putting out music, you're, you're hearing their thoughts. Did that help you getting into more of an entrepreneurial type role versus, you know, just working for a company and kind of not being maybe as known, like you were the front man a lot of times with some of the stuff you're doing. Did that help you at all? Oh, it helped a ton. And it's funny you say that. Cause I, I do, I find that I run into a lot of musicians in, online marketing circles, real estate agent circles, like the, um, and I think what it does, if you get into music, yes, you deal with rejection. You especially deal with the fear of rejection. The actual rejection doesn't come that often, you know, and that's, what's funny about the fear of it is that the reality of it actually doesn't come around all that often. We feel the fear of it constantly. You know, if you step out on stage and you're a musician or if you just step out in your business to do a speaking gig, like you're going to feel that fear and discomfort of potentially failing. But how often do you actually crash and burn? Well, it's not really very often. Uh, One of the good things about being a musician is you actually figure that out. And so I was able to kind of take that into my business career. And I, and I did legitimately freak out before doing my first webinar and before launching my first podcast and all that stuff. But I also understood the value. I, I had that background in music enough to know that even though I feel like I'm freaking out right now, I just need to put the repetitions in and that fear will go away as the skill grows. And so, yeah, that, that, that background absolutely equipped me. Well, it's a fair point maybe to settle on for a minute because you know, one of the quotes I like to use a lot is by the great Stoic philosopher Seneca. You know, we suffer more often in imagination and then in reality. And it's like <laughs> we get this in our head that we're going to fail or we're going to be bad or someone's going to look at us the wrong way. And we don't realize that maybe almost all the time it doesn't even happen that way. We're yeah. kind of making up these thoughts. In, from a mindset standpoint, as you mentioned, going into these new endeavors, um, was there anything, again, maybe you took it from the music uh, background, maybe something else, but how did you kind of gear your mind um, to be able to handle not just rejection or anything like that, but just the fear of getting out on your own, doing something different? Um, I find that in that terms of getting started, that's that's hard for a lot of folks. I know I know it was for me. And, and I think it still is. You know, it's funny. Um, I was working with a client a few years back, came out of Silicon Valley, retired, 
His last company sold for like a billion dollars, set for life. Um, extremely successful, extremely well-known. And I didn't know about it until six months later when he told me that he almost canceled the launch of his podcast the night before. And I asked him, well, wh why is that? And I said, you've done all these incredible things. And he said, because this is the first thing that I've ever put into the world that had only my name on it. Mm. No company, no, nothing to hide behind. And I experienced the same thing when I went from like launching podcasts like with other people where I was a co-host to launching Micro Famous. Bam, it's just me. And I, I had that same thing. It's funny, I've got this, this tattoo on my, my left hand that was the reward to myself for, um, for launching that podcast. And, um, because yeah, like I encountered all that same internal resistance all over again, you know, going from, uh, the same resistance I had when I launched my first podcast with a co-host, which was kind of just a fun experimental thing that took off. And then going to launching my, my first solo podcast, I had that, all that same fear of rejection, all the same stuff kind of came up. And so, yeah, like I had to find a way to motivate myself through it. And part of it was just by focusing on the fact that, hey, this is, it doesn't have to be immediately massively successful right out of the gate. I'm just going to put the work in and it's going to be successful over the long run. So that was a part of it. And the other part of it was just, was like doing something simpler to reward myself for launching it. And I was getting my, uh, my first tattoo. So just little things like that, like you have to kind of get to know yourself and figure out how to motivate yourself. Yeah. When did you get the idea of doing a podcast initially? You said this first one you did with someone else. Did, did that just kind of, you said, spur yeah. the moment go? Or have you been thinking, thinking about something like that for a little uh, while? It was both. So I'd been paying attention to what was going on in the podcast world. I was a big Adam Carolla fan since like 2009 when he transitioned mm -hmm. from radio to podcasting. So I was kind of keeping an eye on stuff. And it, so I was a consumer myself. Uh, then I got into hosting webinars uh, at my old agency with some of the influencers in our core space. And one of those guys called me up a, a couple months into running those as webinars and said, well, hey, why don't we turn this into a podcast and just start stepping up the frequency? And I'd been thinking about it already because we, we were essentially doing a podcast. We were just doing it once a month live on video to YouTube. And uh, so it was a very easy transition. So I kind of like, I, I didn't really intend for it to be this way, but I accidentally dipped my toes into the water almost one toe at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, so for, there was, there was quite a while, my first podcast, two thirds of the audience were on YouTube. It took, it took a year and a half for that to flip and iTunes to finally uh, take over and, and you know, more of our downloads to be on audio. So I started in the live video space first. And the whole intention was to promote coaching and consulting. So I was looking at podcasting more of as a marketing vehicle to build a coaching consulting agency. And today that's, that's still who I work with mostly. And yeah, so it was one of those things where it, it came together. I was, I was a consumer first, which I think is always a good foundation. We were scratching in a legitimate itch. We were trying to grow a, cons a coaching consulting business. <clears throat> and it just so happened, I think the timing of that was, was really good. Why did you decide to kind of go out on your own and do your own podcast? Uh, that was, well, it was related to the decision to get out of all those four businesses, right? So okay. I was in two different coaching consulting companies, a software company, another service company. And then like we had, we had started a project to like build a training platform all, all within the real estate space. And like I said, I thought I was focusing by being like, my fantasy was if you come into my world and you buy virtually anything, I make a cut off of it. And what I realized is that I was actually pushing five different rocks up five different hills. And I was the one walking away from every meeting because I, I get stuff done. 
I was the one that had the longest to-do list out of each of those meetings. Mm. I'm like, well, this is not sustainable. So I started one at a time withdrawing from each of those companies. And I just, I just looked at the, the math and I said, look, I, like, I can't put my heart and soul into something where I own 9% or 50, even 50%. I've got to put my heart and soul into something where I own 100%. And the only thing I had 100% of was the, the digital agency. And that's what I was getting pulled into by people going, hey, will you please launch a podcast for me? you know, like other coaches and consultants. Right. And so I just decided to double down and essentially go all in on the one thing where I had 100% ownership because I felt like that's where I could put my heart and soul. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask is around, you know, I, I kind of wrote the word down here, mission. Did, did you feel like there was a greater mission, a greater impact you wanted to make on the world versus some of those other businesses yes. where it's like, yeah, they're good. Maybe they're making money, but it's not really what I love to do. Yeah, the conclusion that I came to is that I wanted a business where I didn't have to make a crap load of money and then give money away to feel the impact and fulfillment. I wanted the business itself to give me that sense of impact and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it just so happens that like that I happened upon the idea of the marketing agency. But as I was kind of making that decision, yeah, I was kind of doing that, that math going, okay, well, I know I want to make a difference. I know that I'm getting pulled into launching podcasts. Who can I work with in the agency where I feel like I'd be making the most impact on the world? Because of course you can, you know, I could sell marketing services to just about anyone. Mm-hmm. The, the reason why I zeroed in on on thought leaders and especially introverted thought leaders is because I knew they had amazing content that could help a lot of people. And they were kind of getting stuck on the sidelines in this whole crazy social media first world that we live in because they don't want to be on social media all the time. I felt like I could make the most impact by helping bring their message to the world, right? Give them a vehicle that would get them in front of more people. And then not only would that grow a successful business, but then I would get that sense of fulfillment out of running that business, knowing that I essentially built a platform where a lot of people got to help a whole lot more people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like that was all part of the, uh, part of the equation. What, what are you finding the folks you're working with? What's the biggest, uh, kind of hurdle or barrier to entry on their end? Like, are they, is it what you mentioned that guy earlier was like, just scared to put his voice out there? What, what are you finding now? Why people are hesitant to start podcasts? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's shifted a little bit, I think. Um, I think there's definitely a group of people that are afraid to launch a podcast uh, just for fear of putting themselves out there. I don't tend to attract a a ton of those folks into my world. Um, A lot of the folks that I've come across will crawl over broken glass to go speak in front of a thousand people. Like they, 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 they're on a mission, man. They like, they, they know who they want to affect their, their hesitation with podcasting is more about, is this the right investment of my precious and limited time and energy? And so, yeah, so I think that's, and especially as podcasting has exploded, it's, it's now become more mainstream and all, most of their friends that are coaches and consultants and whatever have podcasts uh, and they just, it's kind of like in the culture a little bit more now. And so I, I think it's changed. It's less of a, you're not really stepping out and doing something as unique anymore when you're launching a podcast. So now the question is, is it worth it? Well, I, and I can tell you it is worth it, if you get the marketing and the positioning right, right? If, if, the, if there's an alignment between the business and your podcast, it absolutely still is worth it. Um, if you just launch a podcast that it, they're just fun conversations and the show never really takes off and it doesn't generate ideal clients for you, you will burn out. And that's, that's what I see the most. And I'm sure you see people around you all the time that launch podcasts and burn out after eight or 10 episodes or whatever. And I think that's a big part of why is it sounds fun, but mm-hmm. it, unless it generates sales, it's got to generate sales. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a couple ways. You know, I, I look at it from one is it like like the just get started podcast is a part of my mission right and that's why i continue to do it you know three years into doing this thing it's crazy that it's been that long and uh and then but i also look at it from the standpoint of like the content that you could put on that's what i you know initially where i when the folks ask me like brian should i do a podcast i'm like well what are you trying to do to your point like are you trying to bring in clients are you you know is it more of like a a content-based networking type approach is it you're doing it for fun like what what's your reason mostly it should be though if you have a business it should be for content at worst right i mean at worst, let's yeah. say you have a 30 minute conversation how many snippets of video how many quotes you can get out of it and i don't think a lot of folks are actually leveraging that um, as much as they should at least my opinion uh, but to your point i think it's also a way to get introduced to potential uh, partners potential clients mm-hmm. um, which is a unique yeah. avenue because again someone in sales i tell this to all like a lot of friends i have that are startup founders and stuff i'm like listen i'm in software sales i I get rejected all the time. I have to have tough conversations. It's a lot easier to call someone up and say, Hey, I have a podcast. Would love to have you come on and chat versus, Hey, I have some product that may work. You know, you'll get to that eventually, but there's a, there's an easier way in if you really, you know, use it properly. Yeah, there definitely is. And that's, I think probably the easiest way to explain it is that if you're going to launch a podcast, the ultimate goal is influence. But on the way to influence, you can build relationships, and those relationships can get you either direct sales directly or referrals, which to me, that's the ideal. So then the question is, okay, well, if on the way to building influence in my space, what kind of relationships do I build? And uh, where I try to steer people is don't necessarily invite your ideal clients onto your show. Because if your show is based around what you do and your expertise, inviting people who still need you onto your show means that you're inviting people onto your show that are still suffering from the problem that you solve. So they're not going to have a spectacular success story in your area because they still suffer from the problem that you solve, right, your, mm-hmm. that your product solves. So what you want to do is go to one level above that and think about who has the relationships and the trust of my ideal clients already. So that could be influencers or it could just be other vendors. It could be a lot of different people. But think about who has the trust in the relationships of your ideal clients already and go after them and bring them onto your podcast. Odds are they probably already have a success story of overcoming the problem that you solve. And they'd be more than happy to recommend you to people that they know suffering from that same problem because they'd like to see those people get that problem solved a lot easier than they had to. You know, um, So if you're selling software, you're selling coaching or whatever, um, it, it, it can be tough to like interview your potential clients. So I always recommend going one layer above that. And then getting back to your point about the, um, the slicing and dicing and the, and the leveraging the content, I think social media is not in our favor on that. So I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that, but I, when I look around at the podcast landscape, I don't, as much as I see people trying to do with the, with the clips and, and uh, you know, the videos with captions and you know, just kind of going straight up Gary Vee trying to promote their podcast, I don't see social media doing them a lot of favors and promoting those podcasts in front of a high portion of their audience, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you see kind of the same re- engagement numbers. You know, they'll have 5,000 friends on Facebook or they'll have 10,000 followers on their Facebook page. And their, their, co- their posts about their podcast will get 50 to 100 likes, a handful of comments at best. And I don't see the social media companies doing us any favors and promoting our stuff much beyond 5 or 10% of our audience. And so I do think our, our approach to kind of promoting our podcast uh, does need to kind of start shifting 
and evolving because I don't think the slice and dice and post something everywhere. If it doesn't get engagement, social media companies aren't promoting it. They're squashing it in the algorithm, which is a problem. And it's just especially a problem for introverts, right? If you're not, if you're not on the platform a couple hours yeah. a day every day creating content live, social media is not doing us any favors right now. So <clears throat> anyway, that's, that's, my, that's my quick perspective on what's going on with social media. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think that's, yeah, you post something and you're like, what is going on? Well, you know, Instagram, you only want certain people or they want you to promote it. They want you to pay for it. I look mm-hmm. at it more from like, you know, especially if it's a, if someone that has a business, right? They're trying to mm-hmm. run, you have newsletters, you have emails you're sending out to prospective yes. clients. Like it's a new way instead of just, hey, how have you been? It's kind of like, oh, hey, we had this cool interview I thought would be, I, I just think there's some different ways. Because again, most people, you and I may be different. Like I'll sit through a three hour Rogan interview. You know, I listened to his four and a half hour, about four and a half hour interview with Tom Green the other week. Like I'll listen Holy to those cow. things, but some people don't do that. But man, if you send them a three minute quick snippet, oh, they might love it. So yeah, that's, that's hundred percent true. And, and you're right. There's a ton of ways we could be leveraging podcasts in nurture emails, uh, email sequences, autoresponders, um, the you know like if you send out a proposal to a client what's the next couple of emails that go out you know you could be sending pod clips of your podcast in those you could be bringing your successful clients onto your podcast and recording success stories which i'm a big proponent of uh one of my one of my own favorite episodes of my own podcast was with one of my uh clients because he's the the story was so cool and, and it reinforces all my point of view uh yeah there's all kinds of ways that that once you have it if you look at it as a way to like build influence and build relationships, you'll start to see these cool ways to use a podcast uh, that we were only, you know, we're just kind of scratching the surface on. So I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask one more thing on, on you personally building the business. So obviously this podcasting business and, and helping a lot of these clients, how, how have you done it? Like, are you, do you have full-time employees there? Are you using like a lot of freelancers, virtual assistants? Like how have you structured to make a a successful business, um, but also be able to kind of manage the time. And as you mentioned, your your kind of hands were in four different pots before. How have you set up this business since you're kind yeah. of, it's your baby? Not anymore. Uh, have my hands firmly into one pie and one pie only. We sell one thing to one type of person, so that that's pretty awesome. So for the agency, um, we have a team of about twelve. They're all scattered across the world. They're all specialists in one area. One of the best decisions I made in the agency was to basically eliminate any multi-job functions or, or anything where they crossed boundaries and reported to two different people, anything like that. So that meant a little bit of pairing people down in hours. It meant specializing roles and different things like that. But it's the best decision from a personnel standpoint that I've ever made. So you combine that with just having really good, uh, well-documented systems means that I can plug in people that are relatively entry level in some like my newest uh, account manager is fresh out of college. It's really her first real job. And I'm hearing from clients like, oh, man, like she's better than the last one. Like, fantastic. Uh, Good systems, good people, but like specialized roles. And I don't hire full time employees. They're all specialists that are part time contractors. In some cases, they're they they even kind of like our aspiring agency owners in their own right. So they already have their own LLC and they serve clients outside of what they do for me, but I am their main priority. So, uh, yeah, I think to me, it's just, it's one of those business models of the future. Um, not having any employees, no offices, but really, really good systems that allow people to come in, 
contribute for a while, year or two, three years maybe, and then move on to bigger and better things and be replaced by another entry-level person. But they just plug right into the same system, and we just keep chugging right along. So the, the, anyway, the net result of that is that I, I run the agency in a, less than a handful of hours a week. I don't take any calls afternoon. Um, any work afternoon really is optional if there's projects I'm working on, but otherwise I work basically from eight to noon uh, every day. And then I strategize and stuff on the weekends. Well, I appreciate you jumping on this podcast then. Outside of your, outside <laughs> yes, of your this hours. is one of the rare exceptions. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better. I'm very humbled. Um, <laughs> the, uh, well, and I like that too, that approach. And I'm hearing that a lot more from, from other folks. And again, right. having that have their own kind of email marketing agencies or whatever it is, is that they're, they're working in that instead of hiring these full-time employees. And yep. I like that too, because that specialized approach, you get someone that could do more in less time mm-hmm. and, and oh, you get absolutely. the quality there. Yeah, you get the quality there's there's and, and you can really dial their performance in to a metric that they know exactly what you expect of them. And that makes everybody feel better. Like everybody wants to know, I just want to know how if I'm doing a good job. And if I can give them a number that they're responsible for, and they hit that number, they're like, great, I know Matt's happy with me. And I am, which makes everybody a lot happier, <laughs> which uh, makes the business a lot easier to run and stuff like that. And yeah, it's like I am not uh, I, I'm not what I would consider a natural entrepreneur. And I think there's probably a lot of people listening, especially if they're still working full-time jobs. They, you may not even know that if you're destined to be an entrepreneur. I didn't think I was. Um, but I got, I got to, to a position where even though I don't consider myself a natural entrepreneur, I'm a good entrepreneur that runs a very good systematic business that gives me all the security that I want. Um, even though I'm not that hard charging person that just stays on the hamster wheel of like, I'm not going to leave this and go start seven other companies over my lifetime. I'm not that guy. And I think there's a lot of people that can probably relate to that. They don't, they don't feel like that person either. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just my, my experience is that you don't have to be, um, however you are, you can build a business around you that suits your personality. One question I wanted to ask before before we move on, because um, this comes up a lot. I it seems like I'm getting this asked a lot, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't know the, the answer because I don't have any employees or hiring any people. When do you know? When did you know to bring on these these folks to help you out? Like, was it day one where you set up these processes and systems with with multiple specializations, or was there a certain tipping point that you got to where you where you kind of figured I need to bring in help? I can't do this myself. Yeah, well, yes, there definitely was breaking points like all along the way. So yes to that. But but the bigger picture is that I knew the kind of lifestyle that I wanted, which meant I had to raise my my value per hour. I knew that I couldn't stay stuck in anything I could pay somebody else 15 bucks an hour to do. And so uh, essentially, I started off by hiring an, an $8 an hour person in the Philippines. She was my first hire. Then I eventually brought on my my old assistant from the agency I used to work at. And then I just started adding one piece at a time as I would take something off of my plate. I would turn it into a system. I would document it. I would record a tutorial video for it. And then that would become the new training for the person that would replace me. So like one of the very last things I handed off inside of the agency was the show notes writing that I was doing for client shows. Mm-hmm. I did that for you know probably the first year and a half of the agency. Finally hired somebody. And it was down to a candidate in Missouri that had like a doctorate in English and some random chick in, uh, in South Africa that applied on Upwork. And so I gave them an audition based on my tutorial video and my, my system. And the gal from South Africa knocked it out of the park. Today, she's my uh, director of content and runs our weekly team meeting. She's been with me for over three years. 
And it was just by going after and, and looking for the best person in the world to replace me and then having that system already in place that she could step into really easily. And because of that, she's still here. And now she builds the systems for the next generation of people that come in. Um, but it was, it was having that bigger goal and knowing that, hey, I can't stay stuck in anything I can pay somebody 15 bucks an hour to. I just have to progressively get things off of my plate one at a time mm-hmm. and into the hands of somebody else that, um, that kind of started that process. Yeah, that's awesome. I I like how you're thinking through that. And again, you didn't just go for the title or like the person that quote unquote had the experience. Mm -hmm. You went for the best person that you felt kind of in tune with. Yeah. um, Which is a a great way to do it. All right. I got to ask you, I want to talk a little bit about, I see that, I see that guy sitting back there on your desk. Um, Why did you decide to write a book? You didn't, you didn't have to write a book. Why did you decide to write a book? Tell me about the genesis of that idea. Well, so it goes back to the, the personality thing. And I saw a lot of people thinking that the only way that they could succeed and promote their business was to build a massive audience. And, and essentially just, uh, you know, we'll just call it out. Just, it's essentially the Gary Vee route, which is mm-hmm. to shout the loudest and shout the most often on social media. And with the intention of grabbing as much attention as possible from the maximum number of eyeballs, right? And, and God love Gary Vee. But he's an extrovert, and, and the bottom line is that I feel like the, the people that really run with and are successful with his advice tend to be extroverts. The introverts that try to take that advice, and I was one of them for a while, uh, burn out quickly because our, and we don't get energy from being social. We expend energy being social and then have to go be by ourselves to recharge. So for us, being on the hamster wheel of social media, especially as, as it's evolved over the last few years to where it's even more demanding and time-consuming than it was before – it's, it's just made it really difficult for introverts to grow a business. And especially for those that are like, uh, in my world, so coaching, consulting, people who speak and write business books, that's kind of my market. Mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of those people, even the extroverts, if they, if they weren't the exact right kind of extrovert that wanted to be on social media all the time, they were just on this hamster wheel of guilt and frustration and not knowing how to reach people, thinking that they needed a change, right? Something was wrong with them because they couldn't do what Gary Vee was doing. And looking up to guys like him and, and trying to figure out what was wrong with them that they couldn't follow in his footsteps. <clears throat> and just over the years of tinkering with a bunch of different marketing stuff, I figured out different things that you could do that had nothing to do with you being on social media all the time. And definitely didn't involve you taking selfies and posting to Instagram 15 times a day mm-hmm. that would still accomplish all the goals that you wanted. So, I, so in like over the course of building this thing for myself, then I realized, oh, crap all my clients and friends need the same thing. So I started to try to like put it into a book first and then it's become, uh, you know, some tools and things that I've developed that are, that are for sale. But yeah, that was the genesis of it is just seeing that, that endless cycle of guilt and frustration that people were trapped in and, uh, and, and trying to just change that. What was the writing process like for you? How long did it take to write? How did you structure it? So the writing process was interesting um, because I wrote the wrong book first. I wrote a book in, like two months, a couple of years ago, and then realized I wrote the wrong book first. So then I had to go back to the drawing board. So then I was expecting the around, around the same experience. Not at all. It took me over, it took me like nine months <laughs> the second time around to really write the book that I wanted to. Uh, and so I just plugged away. I think 80% of it was written in a Starbucks, um, you know, just an hour at a time in the afternoon. And I, I'm a very methodical, systematic person. I just want to do something every day that chips away at it. So I set the goal of writing a thousand words a day. And so I just wrote that until I had 40,000, 45,000 words. 
and uh, and then I you know started editing from there. So once I like the hardest part of the writing process was getting my own thinking clear. That's also you know if you've interviewed authors, they'll probably tell you that's one of the best benefits too. Is it just writing the book isn't just about getting the stuff out of your head and onto paper. It also forces you to clarify what's actually in your head, and it's made me a better entrepreneur, better leader. What did you do with the first book you wrote? Where, where, is that content <laughs> being used at all? Uh, no, it's, it's it's sitting around. It'll it'll go into some other book later. But it was uh yeah, it was basically the uh, it was about the ideal business model for how do you turn your intellectual capital into a thought leadership business. So it'll it'll, it'll be used at some point. So when you were writing a thousand words a day, like did you have a outline you put together at first, or was it just you just sat and just started to throw stuff on paper? Like how, how did how um, did that structure? I tinker with a lot of stuff, but here here's what worked, and I don't know that it'll work for anybody else. But I do you know the book uh, Rework from from several years back. Is that from the founders of Basecamp? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So if you remember that book, there's like illustrations, and each one, each chapter is basically like a self-contained blog post. You could pull any of right. those out, and it's like a standalone thing. So that's how I chose to write the book. So I essentially listed out. I didn't. I didn't diagram everything in order. I put a Trello board together of all of my potential topics that I wanted to talk about, hmm. and then I would show up at Starbucks at that day, and I would go, "Okay, what what resonates with me today?" And I would look at all the topics I could potentially write on, and I would just pick whatever flowed that day. And I just kept doing that until I had a thousand words on 30 or 40 different topics. Then I started to play with the arrangement and put them into like a logical order. That was massively helpful. Nothing, nothing else for me, like writing out a full detailed outline in advance, that did not work for me. Writing everything as a self-contained blog post and working out at it one, one section at a time, that's what did it for me. That's super, super helpful there. What about uh, promoting the book, getting it out there? How did you go about um, getting people to know it existed? Like, what was the process? Well, and this is where podcasting was so huge. So I think anybody that has a podcast has a massive leg up. Um, I mean, the book has like 40 reviews on Amazon already. Uh, I was able to line up over 20 of those right to like happen almost right when it came out. Because I just went to my top, let's say, 50 relationships of people that I've met over the past couple of years of podcasting and, uh, and just did kind of the Tim Ferriss approach of, hey, I've got this one chapter that I think will really resonate with you. Would you mind if I sent that over? And if you like it, you know, you leave me a, a couple of sentences of a blurb great automatic yes from most of the people that I sent it to because I was thoughtful about who I sent it to got all those back. Um, then on launch day, I reached out to all of them and asked them, hey, I've got your blurb here that you left. Would you mind posting that on Amazon and downloading a copy of, of it while it's free so you're a verified buyer? Again, automatic yes. It was only the matter of logistics. So here's a cool trick. So in Facebook Messenger, you can record an audio message and send it to yourself, which can then be forwarded to anybody else one at a time. And it looks like it was a custom message recorded for them. So what I did is I recorded two different messages, one for my highest level of people and one for the next tier down that I didn't know quite as well. But I recorded an audio message for them that sounded like it was custom for them. I just left out their name. And it was something like, hey, man, I, I really appreciate you. Like you left me a couple of sentences for the book. Uh, it's the, the live launch is today. Can you do me a favor and go to Amazon, grab the Kindle copy, and then go go leave that blurb, and I'll, I'll put it here in the message below. Uh, and just do me that quick favor today. That would be awesome. End of message, right? That, and that audio message went out on the day of launch. And everybody thought it was a custom message just for them. So that was hugely helpful in getting that, just coordinating and packing all that stuff uh, into the, the launch. Hmm. That's a great tip there. I, never, I hadn't thought about that. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely that looking fun. into that with my children's <laughs> book coming up. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Help me out with... Uh, 
your support systems that you have, positive or negative, you know, obviously support systems, you think positive. Sometimes there's also bad ones that you figure out, you know, down the road that, hey, I need to change those. How have those been helpful for you? How have you structured those? Because I find those being hugely, um, hugely important for people that have been successful, that have got to a spot where they're happy. Well, what's interesting about it is that you're right. It can be both. In fact, the same people in your support system can be both negative and positive. Um, my support system is, um, my, I would say my mentors and, and then proximity mentors of just being around my clients who are all kind of at the top of their game in their respective fields, you know, real estate, mortgage, financial services, stuff like that. So they're really, really successful. So if I'm the average of the five people that I hang around with the most, like I, I know that that, that is taken care of, right? I'll be, I'll be a multimillionaire all in real estate. Like if I just keep hanging around the people I hang around with, I'll be fine. Um, however, there's a caveat to that, which is you also have to be careful not to be pulled into the rat race of competition for competition's sake. So my support system that keeps me motivated and keeps me, you know, hanging around really ultra successful people. The only downside of that is that you have to be careful not to get pulled into competing with them just for like the top line revenue and just for the, you know, to get the latest car and stuff like that, because that stuff doesn't actually make you happy. So I do have other people in my life that keep me grounded in that, that remind me that my, like, I've already built my ideal daily life. I don't need like, like my quest in business right now is to be the best entrepreneur and systems builder that I can be. My quest isn't to buy another vehicle or something like that. And so that's, that's the one thing is you have to look at, even once you get your ideal support system in place, you have to recognize that if they're all super hard charging type A successful people, which is Mm -hmm. awesome, just don't get pulled into the rat race with them and end up committing to stuff that doesn't make you any happier. What do you think has been the, uh, the hardest part of your journey getting to this spot today? You ever think about that? Yeah, it's honestly, it's, it was trying to change myself. So, um, like me being naturally introverted, I, you know, I tried going to events. Um, I tried, uh, networking, and essentially, and, and social media, like just the traditional approach to social media, I tried all of that stuff. I didn't realize I was trying to be somebody different at the time. I thought I was just doing what it took, quote unquote, to be successful. Mm-hmm. And success always involves pain and sacrifice, and that's all true. However, um, I think there is a lot of us trying to change ourselves and be something we're not. And that kind of pain adds up a lot faster and will burn you out a lot faster. So... Um, I think that's the main thing was trying to trying to be someone I wasn't thinking that I had to do that in order to grow a successful business and then realizing afterwards that none of that was necessary. It's about the system that you build around you and you can build any kind of system that you want around you. Um, you know, I built a marketing system around me that allows me to be an introvert and still grow. I built a business system around me that allows me to be exactly who I am and enjoy my life. So whatever you think like internally is wrong with you, that's an obstacle to building the business you want. I don't think actually that's true. There's, there is some sort of system you can build around you to allow you to be yourself and be who you are and still get what you want. Will you have to sacrifice along the way? Yes, we all have to, but that doesn't mean you have to fundamentally change who you are. How did you come to that realization? Because I, cause I certainly agree with you and I've gone through similar things to kind of come to that realization, but I, it was a long path, but again, you know, helping other folks out, I, I hear a lot of times that maybe, uh, maybe it's harder or it's like, how do, how do you understand kind of like, 
is it self-awareness? Is it, you know, kind of sitting in thought? Is it someone told you and like kind of shook you and said, Hey, <laughs> what was the, like, what do you think was the catalyst to, to changing? That's a good question. Um, I would love to say it was my deep sense of self-awareness and I went off on a <laughs> mountain retreat and came back with the answer. I don't think that was it at all. I think it was a combination of seeing a lot of people run a lot of different stuff, uh, and realized that the the commonalities weren't the tactics. The commonality was they were relentless in, in putting systems around themselves that got them the goals because they were willing to do kind of whatever it takes to get the goals. Mm-hmm. And then you start looking at it and go, okay, well, this person does X, and that person does Y, and that person does Z. Like, there's no consistency in the tactics. Like, well, so, so it's less about that, and it's more about the fact that they really wanted what they were going after, and they put things into place that worked with who they were. So I'll, here, I'll give you an example. One of my clients, I would consider one of the most self-disciplined people ever. He just got done running his first triathlon at the age of 50. Hmm. He's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, does something like $8 million in gross commission in real estate, you know, owns a couple of offices in the East Coast. Awesome guy. He told me one time, he's like, you realize that I never go to the gym alone. I'm like, what, what is that? What do you mean? You know, he's like, I have a system around me. He's like, I'm a lazy, undisciplined pile of crap. You know, like I, I, I don't, he's like, I don't want to go to the gym. It's like, so I don't expect myself to go to the gym alone. I get a workout buddy and a trainer so that I'm expected to be at the gym and my sense of internal honor and commitment will not allow me to miss that appointment. Hmm. Said, so I understand who I am and I built a system around me that makes sure that I get my butt to the gym. And it was, that was one of those that it wasn't the only one, but it was definitely one of those reinforcing moments where I'm like, yes, like that's, you don't, it's not about being self-disciplined. It's about building a system that makes sure you get done what you want to get done and you get the goal. So yeah, it was, it was just in like little instances like that, that kind of added up over time. Yeah. Well, I want you to take a, a look back to your younger self. I want you to go back, maybe your teenage self. And I want you to think about a piece of advice that would be very impactful for that younger, you know, younger Matt. Uh, what would you share with them? What would you write down if you had a post-it note or something small to have them stick on their computer that would be impactful for them right away? I think the most impactful thing I could have told my 20-year-old self was that the ultra-successful people, the ones that are at the absolute top of their game, are the the ones that are the most receptive to new ideas and the most receptive to a young up-and-comer that just wants to get around them and bring them coffee. Hmm. So I didn't grow up with anybody that, that had run a business. I didn't even grow up with anybody I knew that had gone to college. So that was not even an option. I didn't go to college. It was literally not, it was just not in the realm of possibility. So when I got into real estate, I did what I thought I should do. I went and took my test and I joined a brokerage. Now, unbeknownst to me, my now client was the same age I was getting into the business at the same time I was. Guess what he did? He went up and called up 50 of the top agents in town and offered to take them to lunch. About half of them took them up on it. And he took 25 people out out to lunch and just picked their brain and asked them questions. He did way better in his first year in real estate than I did and now runs the number one team in the state. And then we ended up working together on a coaching consulting company. But I didn't, I didn't even think that was in the realm of possibility. I would have never guessed, but the most successful people, if you called them up and said, dude, I love what you're doing. Can I please just be a fly on the wall on your office and just see how you run things? I will bring you coffee twice a day and I'll bring you lunch. I guarantee you 90% of the the people that I know would say yes to that. 
Yeah, that's tremendous advice. I think this might be the first time it's been mentioned on here, but I, I love it because I think yeah. that is anytime you can soak up that knowledge, you can see some of the nuances of people that have done it before you. Um, that's a great way to get ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. No substitute for seeing it in action. Absolutely. Man, this has been a, an absolute pleasure. Where, where can everyone find you online? Where's the best way to connect? Best way to connect is getmicrofamous.com. So the links to the book and the website is pretty basic right now. We're building something new for 2021. Um, But yeah, uh, I would say the the right people is uh, if you're you're an introvert that's frustrated with kind of the state of marketing today and you want to grow the business that you want without having to be someone that you're not, like that's what the podcast is about. That's what the book is, is aimed at equipping you with a system that will work for you. And so those are the two best ways to, uh, to learn about it and connect. And then you can also find me on Facebook. That's really the only platform where uh, I'm active at all. But if you were, if you message me on Facebook, I actually do respond. Like that's the one place where I, <laughs> I am active. Awesome. And this has been an absolute uh, pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your time with us. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by. Um, if you want to connect further, please head over to my website, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com. As well as connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Andraco, or search me on LinkedIn, just Brian Andraco. Um, I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.